got a kink in my neck last night, so oh. I can't turn my head more than like, I don't know, 30 degrees to the left without it killing me. Uh. And getting like pains in your sleep is something that I don't think I will ever understand. Like, I don't know how it happens. Yeah, that's how I woke up last Sunday for some reason. And it took me to like Wednesday till I had like full range of motion back. Really? Oh, god damn. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> and then today I woke up like, of course, we went to bed too late because we had like one episode of this show we've been watching and it was too late to start it. But it was like, well, it's going to be a week before we see it. So why don't we just uh-huh. finish it out and, and go to bed too late? And, uh, but you know, like kids, they don't know that we fell back an hour. So instead of eight, <laughs> they woke up at seven. Or Declan did anyway, and Colleen slept until I guess ten, which would be nine, which was great because um, she definitely needed that. She had, you know, she goes, kids just get wound up on Halloween. So, yeah, know, yeah. It's not even the candy; it's just like the the feeling of Halloween, you know, the spirit of Halloween. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so we went to bed too late and got up too early. So I, so, but I can't tell if I'm like if that's the reason I kind of have a headache and. My eyes kind of hurt, or if I, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what it is. Well, how how late were you up? I would say like one thirty, okay. one or one thirty, something like that. So we almost missed the hour. We we were almost awake during it. <laughs> yeah, we were we were uh, we were awake for the time change. Uh, <laughs> so we we watched it go from yeah. one fifty nine to one, but then again, <laughs> I, I mean, we we still got that extra hour, you know. So it's not like yeah, I guess technically yeah, because I mean, we were we were just uh, hanging out watching some movies. We ended up watching. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. Tusk or, or Yoga Hosers, but we watched both of those. I have not. Oh God, they're so bad. Um, but they're they're Kevin <laughs> Kevin Smith's uh, foray into horror movies. Uh, but they're they're yeah. so bad that they're hilarious. Should we just get started? <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> All right, welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing: watching Seinfeld for the first time. And today we will be talking about uh, not the sponge. We'll be talking about the gum. Wait, uh, last week we talked about what? Who are you? What me? Yeah. Hello? You 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 missed introducing yourself. Oh, wow, weird. Oh my god. Um, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. <laughs> Normally I'm the one who skips over shit like this. <laughs> yes, and today we will be talking about season 7 episode 10, The Gum. <laughs> but last week we talked about the sponge and we had some trivia and tidbits and homework from that. Uh first up of course was well, we we're going to we're, we're going to learn about the sponge. But first, Ted, we were going to ask our wives if they knew anything about the sponge. What did uh, Grace know about the sponge? Uh, absolutely nothing. She she had no idea what it was. <laughs> uh, same over here on this side. Sarah said she had heard of it, maybe, but okay. didn't know what it was or, or how it worked. <laughs> so yeah, um, are, are we just gonna have so, to are we gonna have to Google it and like find like the incredibly dry wikipedia description like we did with uh the seinfeld porn parody way ahead of you ted oh uh, and honestly <laughs> i was kind of shocked that my hypothesis you know I've, I've had a lot of time to think about this i've had <laughs> what um 25 years is that right uh to think about this and so i you know what i mentioned was not that far off the bat it just seemed impossible to me so contraceptive sponges first used in 1983 work in two ways first the sponge is uh you know inserted into the old vagina there uh jesus christ the cervix (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and prevent any sperm from entering the uterus. I'm picturing a sex ed teacher just like, instead of like, yes, into the vagina, referring to it as, yep, into the old vagina there. The old vagina there, you just stick it on right up there. And so that, that was one Christ. of my hypotheses that I was like, does it kind of work like a diaphragm? And evidently it does. And not only that, but it also contains spermicide. That we knew. But I was like, what do you just rub the spermicide on the outside? And like, that's supposed to. That doesn't seem like it would work. <laughs> like so, um, sponges obviously provide no protection from STDs. Uh, they can you can insert one twelve to twenty four hours before intercourse, and sponges can provide contraception for multiple acts of intercourse over a twenty four hour period that cannot be reused beyond that time or once removed. Hmm. So okay, yeah, not to jump too far ahead, but Elaine, you know, their first sexual encounter, her first sexual encounter with Billy is great, but then the next morning she won't give it up to him. She could have left the first sponge in and gone for round two later that morning. But maybe it's uncomfortable to sleep in or something. I don't know. Maybe. And also, you said anywhere from 12 to 24 hours before having intercourse. She definitely was about ready to use it right before they went to town. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's her 12 to 24 hours before intercourse. So maybe you can you know, put it in right away. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. I don't think you have to put it in 12 hours before. Yeah, but that that that's what that, that's the way you could read that, I guess. But for some reason... Maybe that's the not the minimum amount of time, but the max amount of time. Like depending on which <laughs> brand you have, like you can put this one in twelve hours before. You can put that one in twenty four hours before. You know, oh, whatever. okay, I gotcha. The, yeah, like you can the, put them the, in twelve to twenty four hours before. The today sponge, I guess. The today sponge will last twelve hours. The today sponge plus will last twenty four. <laughs> uh, to use the today sponge, you have to run it under water. At least, uh, maybe this is a current the current model. You have to uh, run it under water until thoroughly wet to activate the spermicide inside the sponge. But uh, that's why I, I say maybe this is a modern version because Elaine's looked like it was in. Like I compared it to mozzarella cheese, and mozzarella cheese is wrapped like that because it has to remain moist. So I was like, maybe they used to be sold uh, pre pre moistened. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, let me see. So, so three brands are currently marketed: Pharmatex, Protectade, and Today. Uh, Pharmatex is marketed in France and Quebec. Protectade in the rest of Canada and Europe, and Today in the United States. Uh, across brands and usage, you're going to find anywhere between 68 to 99 percent effectiveness to uh, stopping pregnancy. Well, who would want the one that's 68 percent effective? <laughs> I mean, this is all like, you know, based on studies and depending on the usage, <laughs> regular usage versus whatever. You know, I, I really just took the range that I saw. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. I, I thought yeah. like no, that was like not, a, not great. I thought that was a marketed statistic on like the box <laughs> of one of one of these sponges where it's like st- uh, prevents pregnancy 68 percent of the time. <laughs> no, thank you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Why bother? You, you'd be better uh, using nothing. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, save your money. Uh, you're going to need it for when she gets pregnant. Uh, the the Today Sponge specifically was developed beginning in 1976 and introduced in the U.S. in 1983. By 1985, Today had become the largest selling over-the-counter female contraceptive in the United States. Which is probably, I wonder, like, what are the other, you know, is, is that a big market? You know, because I feel like the condom's number one, but that's like a male mm-hmm. contraceptive. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what its um, I don't know how, competition is. Yeah, I don't know how big the market is for, for female uh, contraceptive, contraceptives other than just like the birth control pill, right? Yeah, the pill, the diaphragm, yeah. 
anything that your doctor has to you know put in. I know there's a, oh is there isn't there like a patch or something? I don't know if it's a <laughs> good lord. We're not talking about quitting smoking, Tim. <laughs> I know, but I think there's a patch. I swear. <laughs> Uh, today, so here's the here's the story. Today was removed from the market in 1994 due to manufacturing problems. Following several delays, the Today brand became available again in Canada in 03 and in the U.S. in 05. Mm. So it was gone from the market for a very long time. Uh, after the manufacturer's parent company declared bankruptcy in 07, production was shut down again until the new manufacturer reintroduced uh, reintroduced Today to the U.S. market in 2009. But here is a bit of interesting parallel time is a circle element uh, if you go to todaysponge.com you'll see this message out of stock for several months now mayor labs has been unable to supply the today sponge at the end of 2019 we experienced major mechanical failures with our equipment it's customized uniquely designed to produce the today sponge over the course of january and february we called in engineering firms to help the factory engineers regrettably we were unable to repair the equipment at the same time we started exploring building new machines uh, under new uh, strict COVID-19 restriction in India, all work has stopped. We continue to be out of stock and out of production. We are unable to advise when or if this situation will change. We are deeply sorry for all the inconvenience this causes you and the thousands of women that have come to rely on the Today Sponge as their birth control method of choice. Mm. So, once again, the Today Sponge is off the market. Dang. I, I was I was going to say, with, I the, know. with them coming back, I thought it was a thing that could uh, be purchased in 2020. It was up until, yeah, I mean, wow. it was up until 2019. For the past 10 years, it's been available. So just kind of an interesting, I don't know if we can take credit for it. You know, most of the well, time we do a podcast and then the thing dies. Yeah. This thing died, you know, like, uh, yeah. I'll tell you what. A, a few months when before. You said originally they were taken off the market in 94. Yeah. Well, the sponge aired in 95. So if for the last 10 years, up until 2019, the, the, around the beginning of the pandemic, they were available, this episode could still happen today. I'm certain that there are still whole cases of today's sponges <laughs> somewhere that are being traded like black market goods, right? You're probably right. Yeah. There's an, a there's a real life Elaine out there that's like, this is it, you know, this is my thing. The, Where am I gonna get it? This is this yeah. is my birth control of choice. I, I need I need the today sponge. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. Wow. But, but today we have the dark web and stuff like that, I bet. <laughs> But there's lots of trading on the dark. <laughs> I, I wonder. I wonder how much a case of. Way. I wonder how much a case of today's sponges cost in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you're gonna get it. I, I'd venture to say that selling those would probably be against the eBay terms of service. You know, like it's <laughs> you probably can't sell it on eBay. But probably. Oh, I, never I, mind. Saw, no. I don't know. I don't know why, but eBay recently uh, updated their terms and conditions where you can no longer sell expired food items. Like even if it's like. <laughs> a, a nostalgic thing, you know, even if it's like, oh, this bottle of Mountain Dew from this uh, promotional run of Casper the Friendly Ghost in 1994. Yeah. Like, you can no longer buy and sell that, that on anymore. eBay. Nope. Oh, that's too bad. How am I going to get Josta now? <laughs> My favorite pre-Red Bull energy drink. Although I, I think Am Marana. I think Amazon is still the wild, wild west, though. Ah, good. So, Ted, you're not going to believe this. You can sell contraceptive sponges on eBay. And right now, uh, there's one for for 69 <laughs> That's probably not an accident. Um, but a pack of three today sponges is $54 plus $4.20 for shipping. Plus $4.20 for shipping? Yeah. I think that's well above market value. 
<laughs> fair market value anyway. Oh, yeah. good lord. All right. <laughs> there's also there's a bunch of other ones that are of like dubious packaging. See, what is this? See, here's here's a pack of 3 sponges that says today, but this is like $16, $36. Oh, that's a, that's like a 10 pack for $36. That that's a good deal, but like it just it looks off. Something about it looks off. I I'm, we can't recommend going to eBay and buying contraceptive sponges that look a little off. <laughs> Yeah, this one's coming from India, and look, it is made in India. We heard, um, but this looks like the Indian version of of, of today, not the American version. <laughs> you so buyer beware. That's all I'll say. You heard the man, ladies. Please do not, under the recommendation <laughs> of no hugging, no learning, go to eBay and buy off-brand looking contraceptive sponges. <laughs> yeah, they could be black market today sponges. You do not want that up in there. <laughs> Jesus. You don't want that up in them guts, ladies, okay? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, For some reason at the beginning, so Kramer heard that the Today Sponge was off the market. He said, I read it in Wall Street Week, Louis Rukeyser, and Elaine laughs. The audience cracks up. Why is that funny? Uh, I don't know. Here's the weird thing about it. Wall Street Week was a weekly TV show, so how did... (laughs) <laughs> Kramer read it in Wall Street Week. That's okay. the first thing that it is. And Louis Rukeyser was the host of Wall Street Week. Uh, it was on every Friday night on PBS from 1970 to 2005. And it was just a discussion of the financial markets. So what happened that week, etc. So Rukeyser was dropped in 02. He passed away in 06 at the age of 73. Wall Street Week ended in 05, but was resurrected in 2015 with co-host Ted uh, financial advisor Gary Kaminsky and Anthony Scaramucci. Oh my God! <laughs> Ten day White House communications director Anthony Scaramucci. <laughs> God, yes, it <laughs> feels like a lifetime then, ago. But it, I know, I know. It's many mooches ago. <laughs> many mooches ago. Mooches online, if you don't know, is a uh, is a, a unit of time. I think it's ten days. I uh, uh, so I'm I'm wondering how many Scaramucci's, uh, Kaylee, whatever her name is, <laughs> Kaylee McEnany is up to now. Yeah, I think I think uh, that's several. her name. I think she's, that's her name, right? That sounds right. Yeah, that uh, she's she seems to be doing what she is supposed to do. <laughs> well, she seems to be what they want her doing, what they want her to do, not what she's supposed to do. Doing what they want her to do very well. <laughs> Uh, so Wall Street Week moved to Fox Business Channel and eventually became Maria Bartiromo's Wall Street. Oh, yeah, Maria Bartiromo's Wall Street. And then they just dropped that and, and Maria Bartiromo has her own show. Now, Wall Street Week has been resurrected on Bloomberg TV. Yeah. So why does does any of that explain to you why that was such a hilarious joke for Kramer to say? Not at all. Me neither. I still don't get why it was so funny that <laughs> he saw that. On Wall Street Week. It's like, he read it in a TV show? <laughs> Hilarity ensues. Yeah. yeah, and he knows the host of that TV show. That was also very funny. Oh, here's some uh, just some more trivia. And then the Ribbon Bully story was motivated by the Seinfeld crew's dislike for being expected to wear AIDS ribbons at the Emmy Awards. And, you know, I, I can we compared it to slacktivism on the show. It really does. It really is like the the... So typical of Hollywood thinking they're doing something and actually not doing anything, but like a ribbon on, you know, it's like, yeah, we're we're making a difference. Like, no, you're ac- you're actually not. So I, I do respect their like, no, you guys have to. You have to wear it. Like, really, what is it going to do mm-hmm. if we do or if we don't? What hap- what happens to AIDS? You know, well, uh, nothing. Yeah, what, exactly. Where is AIDS going to be tomorrow if we do or do not wear this ribbon? <laughs> It's still exactly. gonna, it's still going to be an awful thing that millions of people have and contract every single day. 
Yeah. So I wanted to know about awareness ribbons and, and because they were such a huge, I remember them being like every award show you had to wear, you had to wear the ribbon. So awareness ribbons were the first ribbons that were represented as meaningful objects in history were tokens given to the knights during the middle ages in Europe. But yellow ribbons used to show that a close family member is abroad in military service came from the Puritan army during the English civil war. Then it spread to the Americas, where the U.S. Army became associated with it. There was even a song in the early 1970s, Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round the Old Oak Tree. And based on this song, a wife of a hostage in Iran was the first who used the ribbon as an awareness symbol, tying yellow ribbons around trees to illustrate the fact that she wanted her husband uh, to come home. And her friends and family members followed the trend. And so it's that it's at that point that the ribbon became a medium, like a ribbon. That ribbon means something. It's not just a, a decoration. Uh, during the child murders in Atlanta, if you watched Mindhunter season two, it, it, that's a big part of that. Green lapel ribbons were worn to show solidarity. Uh, so what about this red ribbon? In May of 1986, the AIDS Faith Alliance, later to be known as the Christian Action on AIDS, held an open conference in London and rainbow ribbons were given to everybody attending. Then in 1991, this red ribbon was created by the Visual AIDS Artist Caucus, a New York-based group of artists and AIDS activists. And during the 1991 Tony Awards, Jeremy Irons wore the bright red ribbon pinned on his chest. Though the symbolism of the ribbon was not allowed to be discussed on air, the media and the public noticed the ribbon, and its popularity grew overnight. Uh, At the Freddie Mercury Tribute Concert in Wembley Stadium on Easter Sunday of 92, they handed out over a 1,000 red ribbons to the audience, and performers like George Michael were wearing them. And the year 1992 was declared by the New York Times as the year of the ribbon. Oh, God. Okay. I, I, I'm i glad it's the year of the ribbon. I, for a second, thought you were going to say the year of the AIDS. <laughs> the year? This is it. Oh, my God. I, Disease of the year. That's where I thought you were going with it, and I'm really glad it wasn't that. <laughs> No, no, 92 was the year of the ribbon, though. And, and as you, you know, and as we learned, because this episode's from 95, it, it, it only got bigger. Yeah, and then uh, the AIDS walk scene was filmed on the Central Park set of the CBS Radford lot, where we see them uh, sometimes. And let's see, oh, Peter Melman was inspired to write this episode when he heard that the extremely popular Today sponge was being taken off the market. His initial plan was to dovetail Elaine's hoarding of the sponge with Kramer and Newman trying to run a stock market scam, George and a girl agreeing to date for a week and then break up by mutual consent. I guess maybe this was um, before Susan was written into the season. Mm. And Jerry trying to conceal from Lena the fact that he got a number from an AIDS walk list. These additional plot threads were either drastically reworked or completely replaced. Melman had, in fact, once obtained a woman's unlisted number from an AIDS walk list. And the idea of Jerry modifying the waist size on the tag of his pants was contributed by Jerry Seinfeld himself. So I don't know whether that's something he actually did or... <laughs> Or not, but he came up with the idea. All right. He's like, I need something to do this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And that's pretty much all I got. Uh, I did not go back and look at the walk poster um, from the second pharmacy that Elaine goes to. Mm. I meant to, and then I did just, uh, yeah, I totally, totally flaked. So chalk that up with uh, the baby crying and (laughs) whether stationers is next to the Froyo place or the the Froyo place being next to Zigzag Jewelry, all all of the above. (laughs) All right. Uh, is there any other newsworthy bits or anything? Um, I don't think so. All right. Before we get into uh, the whole uh, disclaimer and everything, we did receive uh, an email into Newman's mail sack from one John Mara, yeah. and uh, I-, I think we can just go go with this right here. We don't need to wait uh, until the end of the episode because it's it's real quick. Because uh, I believe back whenever we were doing. Uh, I don't remember what episode it was. A couple of weeks ago, we were wondering when did monks 
have the signage up on the door and the windows that said monks. Do you remember us talking about this? Yeah. Well, he said. Yeah, us, yeah, because I just yeah noticed him. Yeah, he sent us a screen cap from season three, episode eight, uh, episode the tape, where they also had monks written on the door and in the windows. Okay, there you go. I don't know why I. I think they were just talking about going to monks or something, and that's why I noticed it for the first time. I don't know why it just stuck out to me. Yeah, I don't. I don't know either. It was, um, but it, it kind of stuck out to both of us. I think, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, it, yeah. It was like, has that always been there? Or yeah. <laughs> so I guess it has. Thanks for doing the legwork on that. Okay, so if you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, despite the last 25 minutes of this being exclusively (laughs) research from last week's episode. Uh, We like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episode and save them for next week, as though we are assigning ourselves homework. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this at, and we will send you a No Hugging, No Learning holographic sticker free of charge as long as you send us your mailing address either in a tweet or an email. That being said, Season 7, Episode 10, The Gum, original air date, December 14th, 1995. I was two years, 11 months, and 24 days old, six days away from my third birthday. <laughs> and uh, if wow. you are counting this episode and every other episode we have left, Tim, we have 57 episodes before we become a two white males reviewing female contraceptives podcast. And instructing females which to buy as well. Yes. I feel I, like that's an important part of it. I'm sure. Doing. Like, don't buy this. <laughs> I, I'm sure this is going to go over great and not get any <laughs> backlash whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, you are not to use this. We, we've given it a very bad review. It, we, we give it two thumbs down. Uh, okay, so season seven, episode 10, The Gum. If you are looking at TV Guide the night of December 14th, 1995, you are going to see Kramer complicates Jerry's quest to locate a special brand of Chinese gum. Did who wrote that even watch the fucking episode? I I'm hate it. pretty sure they oh didn't. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what an idiot. It, it makes it sound like Jerry, uh. it makes it sound like Jerry really wants to find this gum and Kramer just keeps throwing like a wrench into his plan, which is almost the exact opposite. Of what happens, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Jerry has no interest in the gum, and Kramer keeps trying to make him. So, yeah, and Kramer keeps... Well, hey, 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 hey. It's it's just so wrong. We'll we'll make it better at the end of the episode. (laughs) All right. Uh, So we start with a stand-up bit as usual. It's about gum. Jerry opens gum, and he's chewing gum, uh, which is kind of an interesting little bit of physical uh, punctuation on this bit. Uh, you know, it's kind of confusing. What is it? It's not food. It, you know, whatever. Uh, teachers hate it. Remember in school. And I did kind of like this because chewing gum makes you look uninterested in everything. And I did like the little, the first one was funny. And like the, the second time he did it, it, it was not as funny. But, you know, I liked the, uh, what, World War II was a big deal, huh? Yeah. 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 And he's like chewing the gum. And that was a funny visual. And then he goes back to the well and, and it just didn't work for me the second time. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it was okay. Uh, over at Monk's, which is decorated for the holidays. Uh, so this is, uh, I guess, kind of a Christmas a Christmas episode of Seinfeld. Uh, George and Jerry are discussing the cashier. 
And Jerry even knows her name, Ruthie Cohen. And that's actually, by the way, the real actress's name. Really? Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of famous Seinfeld trivia that Ruthie Cohen, the character was named for the actress because she had been in so many episodes already <laughs> that they were like, all right, we'll just give you her name. We'll name the character Ruthie Cohen in honor of you. And she has the fifth most appearances of any character on Seinfeld after, of course, the big four. Wow. Really? Holy yeah, hell. Yeah, she's just in the background in every episode of Monks. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first I've, like, recognized her. Maybe it's just because <laughs> it's the first they've, like, called attention to her. Yeah. Yeah, she's totally just a background actress, but it's the same background actress since, you know, <laughs> since Monks became Monks, really. That's great. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and this is the first time she's spoken or anything on camera, definitely. Uh, it's kind of like the windows. It's kind of like Monk's windows. It's like you didn't even notice her until this episode, but she's always been there. <laughs> uh, Kramer comes in, and he's dressed up in a big suit because he has fixed up the Alex Theater, which is an old movie house. They're showing Spartacus, and Kramer is meeting Lloyd Braun there because he wants to use Lloyd Braun's connections at the, the mayor's office to get historical designation for the theater. And... He had a nervous breakdown, Lloyd Braun did, after blowing the Dinkins campaign, and he had to be institutionalized, and Kramer is uh, sort of taking him under his wing, which we know always goes poorly. Uh, <laughs> Lloyd comes in. It's definitely a different actor than the first Lloyd Braun, by the way. Yeah. Uh, did I, you, know, you noticed that, right? <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, this, I don't think I've, we've ever seen this guy before, but I, I recognize the name <laughs> Lloyd Braun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The last remember the, the the way he blew the Dinkins campaign was he took Elaine's idea of like everybody wearing name tags or something like that in the city, <laughs> and Dink, that's that lost Dinkins the campaign to Giuliani. Interestingly enough, talk about someone being in the news, and <laughs> yeah. So this is definitely a different actor playing Lloyd Braun, and he offers the gang Jerry, George, and Kramer some Chinese gum, and they all just sit around uh, chewing gum. Except George, he says he doesn't <laughs> chew gum. What um what did you think of George and Kramer's uh quote here back and forth like cuz he's offering them to come see Spartacus at the Alex Theater and George says uh why would I pay $7 for a movie I can watch on TV uh which kind of does make sense I, I mean if you're if you're George especially but then Kramer like <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of throws it back in his face he says uh why would you go to a fine dining restaurant where you could stick something in the microwave in the microwave why would you go fly a kite in the park when you could just pop a pill <laughs> yeah i kind of i mean i agree i it's partly because i'm a movie fan and, and the experience for it on the big screen i mean look at what people are look at what's ruling the box office the past six months like <laughs> empire strikes back yeah uh friggin teenage mutant ninja turtles ghostbusters you know it's like people will go see that on the big the experience is a little different um and uh but so i kind of agree with kramer you know it's like why i mean you could either you could either just walk around and exist or you can live and experience things you know <laughs> what about you what did you think of that because you're you're a millennial and what we've learned about millenn- you're like solidly a millennial what we learned about millennials are they they care not so much about material things but more about experiences is that where you fall to uh yeah a little bit i, I mean um I, I definitely care a little bit about materials um i i mean i i definitely have been looking up uh, new TVs to get for Black Friday in the last couple of uh, last couple of days um, because ours yeah. bit the dust. But uh, it, as far as that goes, I mean, outside of like the COVID world, I like experiencing things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I thought I thought it was funny the way he threw it back at George, though. I really did like that. Why not? Why go fly a kite when you just pop a pill? <laughs> 
Uh, up in Jerry's apartment, George thinks he got the wrong change from Ruthie Cohen. He is uh, adamant about that he gave her a 20 that he had been doodling on. I don't think he mentions that at this point, but he, he says, I gave her a 20 and he got the wrong change back. Uh, Elaine comes in and Jerry is still chewing the gum and he says it's a little low many. <laughs> oh, no. I like that. <laughs> I thought that was I, funny. I don't know if that's problematic or not. <laughs> Just because it's, you think Jerry's uh, t- like tongue, like taste, sense of taste is biased. I don't know. You, you know, because it's Chinese, it's going to taste low many. <laughs> Might be. Like, I don't know. Like if you hadn't told him where it was from, he wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I'm. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could be, could be. Uh, Elaine wonders if she contributed to Lloyd Braun's breakdown because they broke up around the same time that the campaign went bad and. Jerry, this was a, such a funny exchange between these two, and I didn't. They really didn't sit on Elaine's line, which I thought was a pretty good dig. Because Jerry goes, "Oh, I know. One when you and I parted ways, I was babbling incoherently for weeks." And Elaine goes, "Well, I got news for you." And then immediately George starts talking. There was no room for that to breathe. But to me, that joke, the the <laughs> she didn't need to finish it. You could have just said, "Well, I got news for you," and let that sit. But to me, what she was saying was, "You're still babbling incoherently." <laughs> that that's what the joke was, right? Yeah, that's what well, I, I got thought. news for you. Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't get a chance to breathe, you know. Like, like uh, it, I thought it was funnier than it got. It deserved better than it got. Uh, George says he's got to go drop some presents at his parents' house. I love this. Dude. Jerry's like, I thought your parents were out of town, and George is like, Yeah, why do you think I'm going now? <laughs> <laughs> so good. Over at uh, in George's parents' neighborhood, George's old neighborhood, Mister Lazari uh, comes out and greets George, and he wants to check out George's LeBaron. Which George is still driving around. John Voight gets brought up again, and he's like, "Oh, John Voight, the actor." And George goes, "Something like that." <laughs> <laughs> and then Mr. Lazarus, presumably his daughter, comes out. Dina, a high school friend of George's, and she goes, "Ah, crazy times." And then George goes, "Speaking of crazy, have you heard about Lloyd Braun?" <laughs> Good lord! Uh, <laughs> but before we before we get to the next scene, I want to go get a glass of water, and I actually need to send you a photo that pertains to the next scene. Okay. I think we're going now to the Alex Theater. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Did you? Are you looking at the photo that I just sent you? Yes. I'm looking at the text. Okay. So I see the Alex Theater now showing Spartacus. Okay. The lettering on Alex Theater is one of the most glaringly edited things I have seen in this show. <laughs> like, I, I looked up and saw this. I'm like, that couldn't look any more fake. And just when I was, like, trying to prove my point, Tim, would you please look at the reflection of where Alex Theater would be immediately to the left, right above where it Whoa. says pet grooming. What is that? Is that the end of the word sandwich, I think? I think uh, the only letters I can make out are <laughs> W-I-C-H, uh, yeah. which, uh, how would that be the end of sandwich? Why would sandwich be on a movie marquee? <laughs> it could be it could be greenwich maybe it don't, isn't that the way you uh aren't those the last couple words of greenwich I, as in the village i think so <laughs> but like, oh no yeah yeah greenwich yeah it's g-r-e-e-n-w-i-c-h so it could be greenwich <laughs> <laughs> i didn't notice that but at least the reflection is still red that's honestly not a bad <laughs> it's the wrong letters but the fact that it's it's red and parallel to what says alex theater does kind of impress me yeah and i mean you know uh, I, I can only make out one letter that would be on the white sign which is a y um yeah but like the uh, obviously that would mean now showing spartacus is also 
incredibly like edited and not not well. I, I mean, it's not awful. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure no one really other than me would notice this. Uh, but it just no the the it, CGI signs always glaringly stick out to me, and this one definitely <laughs> did. And it's it was just so much brighter than the rest of the B roll. It really is. Like I mean, the the B roll they use has a special feel to it because it, it it looks yeah. like, and most of the time it is recorded in the like seventies or eighties. It's old <laughs> footage. Um, yeah. So what, whatever technology they're using in 95 to put Alex Theater on this sign uh, definitely makes the rest of the B-roll look very dated. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe through an old CRTV, it it all just got a wash looked, over it. That it would have looked it all... fine. Yeah. But but in yeah. HD, it's, uh, it's a whole new level of <laughs> uh, stunningly noticeable. Yeah, uh, maybe they did get a brand. I mean, maybe they did get a brand new sign for the Alex Theater. Now they've reopened it, you know, and it just looks so much newer than the rest of the neighborhood. <laughs> they just weren't able to fix that pesky reflection. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that's left over from the original theater is the reflection. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. As long as we're talking about the Alex Theater, I tried to find out what this building actually is or where it was. There's even a couple different angles of it where I see, you know, there's you can see there's like some sort of courthouse in the back room. I, I have no idea. Where, where this actually is or what the Alex Theater actually is. Um, it's not real, obviously. <laughs> and But there is a real Alex Theater in Glendale, California that opened in 1925, of course. you know, So maybe they had heard of that and just sort of cribbed the name and, and a little bit of kind of the story. Um, but I couldn't tell where this B-roll was actually shot. There's no street signs in any of the shots. There's If anybody knows, please let us know. If any, <laughs> if any New Yorker or anybody who has better uh, Google foo than I do... Um, please help us out. But Jerry and Elaine are touring the Alex Theater with Kramer, who's talking about all of the times it was remodeled and when it opened and stuff like that. Uh, Lloyd shows up, and they're all going to be sitting together in special seats for Spartacus, but Elaine makes up a story about having to sit in the front row. She doesn't want to sit with Lloyd Braun uh, because it's awkward. So Elaine makes up the story about Jerry forgetting his glasses, uh, and so they don't have to sit with Lloyd. I like when... When she says Jerry forgot his glasses, Kramer like shoves Jerry as if that's a real story. He's like, "What? <laughs> How could you forget your glasses?" Like that's the kind of reaction he has, even though he knows well <laughs> that Jerry does not actually wear glasses. He's so committed to like making Lloyd feel however he thinks he needs to feel that he shoves he shoves Jerry. Either that, or in the moment he forgot Jerry doesn't actually wear glasses God. because Lloyd comes up to him. Afterwards, he goes, "Am I crazy, or has, does Jerry not wear glasses?" And Kramer is doing everything in his power to assure Lloyd that he is not crazy. <laughs> and then, um, like, in in the theater, I think Elaine is saying that seeing Lloyd made her uncomfortable. And this is right as the movie is starting, and her and Jerry are leaning as far back as possible in their front row seats. And Jerry's like, oh, yeah, you don't want to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Now, I remember, Ted, like these seats existing, and they still kind of do, but I'm guessing you've always lived in a world with stadium seating. Um, kind of, yeah. Oh. I, I mean, uh, well, okay. I want to say the, fir- we, like, the first stadium seating in my, you know, suburban town was, I think, like, 96, 7, 8, something like that. What was, what um, was movie theater seating like before stadium seating? Just all... Like, you know, those first four rows in the stadium seating area, like it was all flat like that, just going all the way back kind of 
on the level. All the seats were on the same level, and there was oh, a slight God. incline oh. sometimes. I know. I know. That's awful. Yeah, there was Why? a slight incline, but it wasn't like <laughs> steps up. It, it was just, yeah, it was just a big ramp. Why would anybody want that? We didn't know any different, Ted. It was a different time. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was okay. <laughs> Look, we were just impressed by the talkie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the movie was making noise, Ted. That was enough for us. The pictures were jumping around. We thought that was cool. <laughs> we, we went down to the talkie with Jim Bob to see the Nickelodeon. <laughs> yeah, and I, so I remember when like it was a Regal Cinema that opened up. Uh, they, they revamped every theater in there. I think they had a 12. It was like the Regal 12, and they opened stadium seating, and, and the world was all of a sudden brand new. It was like... <laughs> went from black and white to color <laughs> and so that but still in the front like those first few rows like you, you want to be in the stadium seating none of those first few rows are any good no you know? oh those all suck yeah, e- even, really, really even suck, if you're sucks. in the first row of stadium seating it's not fun not the best i have i know people who like that because you can put your foot up on the railing and i'm like not worth it no, not worth it. No, my what i don't know what your ideal seat in a movie theater is but mine is like if you're sitting down eye level with the center of the screen. Yeah, I'll even go maybe a little higher than eye level. So I'm looking like one row down, you know, like one row above eye level. So I'm looking kind of down at the screen. Yeah, definitely. And then dead center in the in the theater. Yeah, that's perfect. And we didn't have that for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> Although, like, if I if I am, if I'm knowingly going to an IMAX movie, I will probably sit like further down because I, I know the novelty is in being mm-hmm. surrounded by it you don't want to be able to see the entire screen w- in like without moving your head yeah that's true that's true uh out on george's street he's still uh, talking to dina kind of finishing up the story about lloyd braun and dina she says she can't be flip about lloyd as as much as george can george is obviously taking delight in telling her about because you know his uh, i think it was earlier that he mentioned uh in his life his uh his parents, as we know from the previous episode of Lloyd Braun, where I was like, why can't you be more like Lloyd Braun? Why can't you be more like Lloyd Braun? And so <laughs> I, I like Jerry's line after that, which was, and in the end, Lloyd Braun became more like you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the, fa- so the fact that Lloyd Braun, the great Lloyd Braun has fallen, he's taking a lot of delight in, like way too much, just like the last time. Um, and because, well, D- the reason Dina can't be as flip about it is because Pop had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and it's at that point that George realizes Pop has, has been working on his car this whole time. And is now hitting the engine with a wrench. Jesus. <laughs> He's just bang, 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 bang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we cut to the Alex Theater where Elaine is eating popcorn and a button falls off of her shirt and falls onto the floor while she's eating popcorn. Uh, now we cut to George driving and his car begins making this scraping sound. Just his car is making a sound it wasn't making oh, before. And God. he yells, pop. It- <laughs> it, it sounds awful. Like, I, I don't even know how to describe oh, yeah. the sound. It's just like metal scraping metal <laughs> or something like that, which is never good to hear in a car. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, back at the Alex Theater, Elaine comes out and she is, she her cleavage is just, just massive. I mean, her shirt is wide open and she's even like, because her neck is so sore, she's like pushing back her shoulders and stuff like that. Uh, and Kramer and Lloyd specifically are enraptured with this. And she's even talking about 
nah, I think I'm just going to go in and just go get a hot bath. You know, she's like, you've been <laughs> dropping stuff like that. And Lloyd is, is into it. Lloyd's very much into it. Which, how, <laughs> how would she not notice this? How would she not notice that her shirt is wide open? I don't know. I guess you kind of maybe chalk it up to, you know, <laughs> the, the, can you feel your shirt on right now? You know, if you I think about it, you can. But I guess you've got a point. Okay. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, like can I you feel, feel like, your pants when you're wearing them? Oh, my God. Okay. Now, <laughs> now I'm overthinking things. Uh, but like, I, I wonder, yeah. I wonder if there would be like a breeze or something in the theater or because I know we, we know, oh, there you go. we know it's a December day in New York, right? <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be chilly. <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's true. She doesn't that's, realize this. Yeah, she goes right out like right outside is the next scene on the street and there's a shop owner who's like spraying down the the step and he like stops and stares at Elaine when she walks by he stops spraying the sidewalk and Elaine goes up to a cop who again is I think he's wearing gloves and is very bundled up the 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 florist wasn't, but yeah, I don't know. Pe- people are definitely uh, feeling different temperatures in New York, depending on who you are at this point. <laughs> um, but the cop, she's like, hey, this guy's always spraying the sidewalk. Can't you stop him? You know, and he's like, lady, you sold me. And it's at that point that Elaine realizes that uh, her chest is out. And am I reading too much into it that she told the police officer who is white to go stop oh, the no. flower shop owner from doing something mildly inconvenient to her. Meanwhile, the flower <laughs> shop owner is black. Am I reading too much into that? I'll give you it's a slight Karen moment for oh, Elaine. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, on like a Karen scale, it's a one because I don't know how much race played into it. But certainly it doesn't look good through the lens of 2020. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I just I, g- given the thesis of this podcast, I had to bring it up. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I mean, also, I mean, how problematic is it that the police officer only acted because of you know because Elaine was showing some skin? <laughs> yeah, be- because he was uh, sexually motivated. <laughs> yes, <laughs> trying yeah. to think of a better term, and I'm like, nope, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, a racially motivated Elaine and a sexually motivated New York City police officer. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what a great scene. <laughs> uh, up in the apartment, Kramer makes Jerry put on a pair of glasses that he got from the theater because Lloyd is coming up. By the way, Superman's on the bookcase and the action comics are on the fridge. I didn't get a shot of that big full body Superman in this one that I noticed, but I'm, I'm just assuming he's still there. And over at Monk's, George is telling Ruthie Cohen about paying with a 20 and he doodled on the bill. Uh, that's how he know, he'll know which one is his and she won't open the register without him buying something. So he picks out some gum. Lloyd Braun happens to be there and goes, oh, George, I didn't think you chewed gum. And George goes over to the cash register, tries to look for the 20. It's not there. Lloyd's like, hey, I'm kind of in a hurry. So George uh, leaves the restaurant unsatisfied. Back up in the apartment, Jerry is wearing the glasses that Kramer gave him. And they start chewing more gum. And here's a part where Kramer insists on Jerry getting more of the gum. Earlier at the diner, Lloyd was like, I can get you some. And Jerry's like, no, that's okay. And Kramer's (laughs) like, no, Lloyd wants to do this for you. Again, like really just babying Lloyd. Um, as we've seen him do to a couple of other people. And Lloyd mentions that Elaine was practically undressing for him at the theater the other day. Uh, but Jerry didn't see it because his neck hurt as well, and he was you know, looking up and stuff. Um, <laughs> did, did, you, did, you yeah. ca- did you catch Kramer's quote? 
here. He's just like, this is what the holidays are all about. Three buddies sitting around chewing gum. <laughs> chewing gum, yeah. And they're all kind of like nodding their heads while they're chewing. It's just, yeah, really weird. <laughs> chewing gum. <laughs> uh, over at the park, Dina thinks, uh, Dina's meeting up with George because she thinks he's having a nervous breakdown. And one of the things that uh, is taking, she's like, you know, taking pleasure in the discomfort, or pl- taking pleasure in the misfortune of others regarding Lloyd Braun, taking pleasure in the misconfort of others. Uh, all my friends do that. I loved that line from George. <laughs> <laughs> taking pleasure in the misfortune of others. All my friends do that. And he sees Ruthie Cohen on a horse. And just out of the blue, the worst thing you could yell in front of a woman who is accusing you of having a nervous breakdown is, Looking at a ran- seemingly random woman, going, "That woman stole twenty dollars from me," <laughs> and then I was going to get it back, but Lloyd Braun interfered. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and she's like, "See, it comes back to Lloyd Braun again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so begin a series of unfortunate events for George uh, regarding Dina and whether he's not uh, whether or not he's having a nervous breakdown. Uh, over at Monks, George and Jerry are talking about Ruthie Cohen, and Elaine comes in, and Jerry goes, "Oh well, it's Chesty Larue," <laughs> <laughs> and Elaine is missing that button. She uh, talks about how oh, it popped off, and it's an ivory button. It's an antique. It belonged to her mom. I like that Jerry's like, "You were scarfing that popcorn so much, maybe you uh, swallowed it." <laughs> <laughs> and Elaine's going to go check the lost and found uh, over at the Alex Theater. Uh, this old timer comes in and he's looking for his glasses. They happen to be the glasses that Kramer gave to Jerry. Uh, so Kramer leaves this dude in charge of the theater. Well, yeah, this was um, <laughs> so he can run out. He 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 mentioned this guy by name earlier in the episode. He was the assistant costume designer on Spartacus. This is Mister not Harwood. It's Mister Harwood. What Harwood? Yeah, it's it's spelled H A A R Wood. But anytime Kramer mentions him by name, it's he like has a little stutter in the name. It's Harwood. Oh, Mister Harwood. Oh yeah, I can kind of hear that. (laughs) Yeah. Um. And the guy, you know, Mister Harwood, starts looking through the lost and found, and he finds what he calls a spanking button. (laughs) Oh my god! Oh my goodness! What a spanking button! What a spanking button! What is a spanking button? Uh, over in George's car, he is leaving a parking spot, and a car pulls up behind him and starts honking. It is Ruthie Cohen, and George says he's not moving until she admits that she took his twenty dollars and went to go ride horses with it. Uh, and then Ruthie's like, "Your car's on fire." Uh, <laughs> George asks the florist, who is always spraying the sidewalk, where the hose is, and there's no hose because the cops made him disconnected. So he picks up a broom and starts beating his vehicle but to no avail uh the car is you know melted and burned to a crisp and uh, john boyd's car is no more and kramer says he that george can borrow his car anytime and it seemed like a weird scene they really sit on this for a while i was like oh, you know what buddy you can borrow my car anytime and george really? and then it never comes up again it yeah seems like that was a, an important weird. moment i i, I <laughs> yeah. feel like given what happens later in the episode um i, I feel like george would say something like Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I'll pay you back. But, yeah. we, but we don't get anything like that. 
No, and you just connected those dots for me that that's what the fa- – because he mentions the favor. Well, you cashed in on that favor really quick. Like, yeah. What? Yeah. When did they – But but there's nothing you know, mentioned just, here I, about a favor. There's no uh, I owe you one. There's no uh, I'll pay you back. There, there's nothing from Kramer saying, yeah, well, uh, you, you owe me a fa- – or I owe you a favor or – Yeah. Or you owe me a favor is what it would be. Um, but there's nothing. No, no. He's like, you can just use my car anytime. And that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. I guess that's what it, I guess that's how it came up later. But again, it it isn't referenced directly. <laughs> you have to do a lot of of work to get there on your own. <laughs> <laughs> so over at the Alex Theater, uh, Kramer trades out the old timers glasses for these other glasses for Jerry, and they are Coke bottles. I mean, they look like oh my Jerry's <laughs> ads glasses that he wears. These are these are so thick that they they make Jerry look like uh they they kind of make Jerry look like Andrew from Big Mouth. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are they're gigantic. And Lloyd asks about Elaine again and they're going to go down uh, the they're meeting him there to go down to Chinatown to get more of this gum and um Lloyd's like, "Well, let me just grab a hot dog before we go." And the there's a hot dog that's been on a roller as the clerk, as the clerk said, since the silent era. Oh my god! This this thing, clerk, this thing looks so like Lloyd's it has like, it looks like it has warts on it. Yeah, yeah, it had like bubbled up and then cooled <laughs> and then bubbled again and like yeah, it was like crispy and I would venture to say there may not be any meat left inside. It's just casing. <laughs> like oh god, somehow everything else is cooked oh away. God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the, I love the it's, it, the clerk goes. He's like one hot dog, please. Like. Are you out of your mind? And Kramer <laughs> jumps when he hears that because, as we know, like no one should say anything about sanity to Lloyd Braun because he's, you know, Kramer feels like he's very, um, you know, delicate at this point. And so he's like, <laughs> the clerk goes, "It's from the silent area. You'd be insane to eat this." And Kramer's like, "Oh well, we'll show you who's crazy." And he grabs the hot dog and he starts scarfing it down. <laughs> and I like that he's like, "This is a perfectly sane food to eat." <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> so that was a funny line. I think he adds like interesting texture chewy yeah. <laughs> and then he he like starts gagging on it and runs out of the theater yeah and he pukes right in front of the florist who is forced to reattach his hose now to clean up and it's at that point that elaine comes up and says hey you weren't supposed to didn't the cops tell you to take the the hose off and he's like how would you know that unless you're the lady that complained <laughs> and he accidentally sprays her when he turns around maybe it wasn't an accident though Maybe I don't know. Purpose now that I'm saying it out loud. I'm I'm wondering because like someone in the distance yells, "Hey, Joe!" So is that this guy's name, or is he just startled at someone yelling? Because if he's just startled at someone yelling, I could definitely see him accidentally spraying Elaine with the hose. See, I saw it as him. He's like, "Oh, you're the lady." I think I thought he was yelling to somebody else, like, "Hey, Joe, the ladies, the lady who told on us is here," or something. But oh. when he turns away, he like raises the hose or something. Like I don't, that. I don't think it was him yelling though. It, it, oh, I'm not sure. Well, either way, I mean, it, it could still, it could be, it could still be on purpose or an accident. I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards on purpose. If it was on purpose, that's kind of a dick move. Like a, oh, very, yeah, very <laughs> dick move. But it. It seems like an easy thing to do is keep the hose pointed at the ground while you're talking to somebody behind you or what you know like why did he raise it up it didn't seem necessary <laughs> I think he saw his shot and he took it <laughs> literally yeah <laughs> um uh, over at the Alex theater Elaine shows up of course in a wet t-shirt and Lloyd is like whoa 
And Kramer accuses Elaine of trying to get Lloyd's attention, but like being way too thirsty about it. And George and Dina, meanwhile, are waiting for, uh, they're watching the car get towed away. And Dina's like, you want my father to pay for this? Um, <laughs> and she's surprised, like, you know, that her father has something to do it. And also the cashier and the, fl- and it's the flower guy's fault too. Um, George looks insane and like he's having a nervous breakdown in the same way he looked homeless in that episode where just people keep seeing him acting like a bum, like cleaning oh, off that's a, right. <laughs> a windshield or whatever. Where the cup, like, you know, as, as George calls it, um, what does what he, he might say it in a later scene? Oh, a, a series of bad coincidences. <laughs> as he puts it later it's like i know it's all stuff that looks crazy but so he's like jerry passes by in a car and he's like oh that's my best friend he can corroborate well, everything well he and even while he's says, yelling jerry's name he even says like that's my best friend jerry seinfeld jerry's a notable yeah, comedian yeah. but then <laughs> i i would think more into this of like oh george uh looks like he's insane because he's saying that this famous comedian is his best friend <laughs> but then again I'm assuming yes. that Jerry, George, and Dina all went to the same high school. So yeah, I, definitely. I, so I I feel like this would play better if we didn't know that they all went to the same high school. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, or that Dina somehow knew that Jerry Seinfeld was a famous comedian. Like Jerry's fame isn't um, solidified enough in the show. You know exactly what level of fame he's at. Exactly. I mean, we know he's been on the yeah. Tonight Show a couple times, but he doesn't get recognized everywhere he goes. You know. Uh, but yeah, like so he's like, that's my best friend, Jerry Seinfeld, comedian. <laughs> he passes by in a car, and, and he says, oh, he can, cor- he can corroborate everything. And he's like yelling Jerry, and Jerry turns, but he can't see. All he sees is a couple blobs because of the dumb glasses. And <laughs> this is another great line. He's like, well, he didn't recognize you. Yeah, he doesn't wear glasses. She's like, well, that man was wearing glasses. Like, I know. He's doing it to fool Lloyd Braun. <laughs> God, everything, just, everything look, comes back to Lloyd Braun. <laughs> Yeah. But like I, and Dina just looks has a look of pity on her face. I, I I hate it when I can't see something and it makes it so I can't hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hate it when I don't recognize my best friend's voice <laughs> yelling my name. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, but it's just so it's so great the way like the misunderstanding. Is, you know, I just love the way that George is right, but it just sounds so crazy <laughs> coming out of his mouth. Just his, his it's um, his everyday life, but. Uh, whenever you describe it yeah. to someone who is not experiencing his everyday life, it sounds so outlandish. <laughs> yeah. And Lloyd's car uh, with Jerry, they pull up to Chinatown where they get the gum. And he's like, all right, well, uh, just give me some money. And Jerry pulls out a $100 bill, one of several, I'm sure, that he is carrying around at that moment. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, to get the gum. And... Back uh, with George and Dina, he's trying to explain, as uh, as he says, I think, perfectly, the series of bad coincidences, and it convinces Dina that he's okay. Uh, back in Lloyd's car, Lloyd dumps a giant case of this gum onto Jerry's lap because he gave him $100, <laughs> and he blew the whole thing on. You figure if someone gives you 100 you'd go, oh, do you want it? Do you want just like 20 and change, or what do you want? Yeah. You know, like, but no, why? he blows the whole $100 on gum. Why would Lloyd immediately assume... That he wants $100 in gum. He hands Jerry eight <laughs> cases of this gum. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and also, yeah. I, want to, I want to point out, what is the point of Jerry going with Lloyd if Jerry is going to stay in the car the whole time? Because Lloyd was saying, oh, yeah, I'll show you where I get it so that you can just go and get it whenever you want. Meanwhile, 
Lloyd, yeah, I'll introduce you to the supplier. Yeah. yeah, Lloyd says, I'll run in and get it. And and Jerry's like, <laughs> okay, I guess I'll stay here. But like, what what is what is the point then of Jerry even being there in the first place? No need. <laughs> yeah, he could have just given him the hundred bucks at the theater, and then all right, I'll pick it up later or whatever. Yeah, absolutely no need. <laughs> now Jerry's not going to be able to get the gum anytime he wants because he wasn't even introduced to the guy. <laughs> that was the whole point. Back at uh, well, we're in a place called the Institute. Kramer is returning the glasses to Mister Mister Harrowwood or whatever his name is, and it's the this this small apartment sized museum of motion picture wardrobe and stuff like that. The, uh, um, the which the Institute for the Preservation of Motion Picture Costumes and Wardrobes. Yeah, and I like that Kramer <laughs> rattles off the acronym, and the guy's like, whatever it is, like, oh, yeah, sure, the IPMWC or whatever. And uh, the guy's like, we just call it the Institute. <laughs> uh, and there's a, a, a costume from Henry VIII, which the Alex is showing, and Kramer's like, can I borrow this to wear? The, the people will love it. And as Mr. Harwin points out, it would only fit a short, stocky man of generous proportion. <laughs> and immediately someone jumps into our mind and Kramer's mind. <laughs> So cut to Kramer and George in this Henry VIII costume. George stops to buy some gum from Larry David. Yeah. <laughs> Who says, uh, excuse me, your majesty, we don't accept bills where uh, with lipstick on the president. And it's the $20 bill that George had been doodling on. So it turns out Ruthie was telling the truth and George was mistaken. Dina sees George in the crazy getup. And starts running away with George in pursuit, yelling about how he got this outfit from the Institute. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, we get one more scene at the Alex Theater. And Mr. Harwin shows up with Elaine's button, like, kind of around a around a kerchief as sort of like a, uh, what do they call it? Like a brooch kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Yeah. And Elaine's like, oh, that's my button. And she starts undoing it. And, like, he tickles. And he gets tickled. And they laugh. And... Lloyd is staring at her quizzically because it looks like she's also now trying to pick up this uh, ancient dude. And he's like, we got to get that Elena boyfriend. And that's the end of the episode. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, real quick. Why wouldn't Larry David accept a $20 bill that has lipstick on it? Like, it's it's a $20 yes, bill. Seriously. So so what? Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess a, no idea. maybe it's just a New York thing of, like, giving somebody a hard time just to give them a hard time. Yeah, that's probably it. Okay. Yeah, because it, 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 as far as bills that have been doodled on, I've gotten much worse. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what <laughs> do we got for homework this week? I didn't write anything down. I don't think I did either. All right. Wow. wow. Really? Nothing? Yeah, not that I... I mean, there's a bunch of weird old references just thanks to the movies and stuff, but I don't... It's nothing that was confusing. It's like, oh, that that's an old movie about Henry VIII. I've never heard of it, but, I, you know... All right. I believe them. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, I didn't. Uh, th there's nothing in there. All right. What do you like visually about this episode for cover art? I think there's a I think I remember there being kind of a funny shot of Jerry and Lloyd Braun in the car with like and Jerry's eyes are like super wide because of the glasses. Uh, mm. That looks that looked pretty funny to me. I remember. But, uh, what are you thinking? I remember. I was thinking like inside the Alex Theater. Like uh, once Elaine walks in and she's soaking wet. There is like a good wide shot. You see Elaine soaking wet. Kramer sitting on the bench. You see Lloyd Braun and you see Jerry staring straight ahead with his thick ass glasses. <laughs> and it, it, it just. Uh, I was like, this is perfect. This is great. That sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so I know we talked about it at the beginning of the episode. Let's see if we can make this uh, awful description any better. I I don't think we're going to have much trouble. I hope not. So we had Kramer complicates Jerry's quest to locate a special brand of Chinese gum. (laughs) So stupidly bad. (laughs) They couldn't have been more wrong. All right. Um... Let's see. I mean, is that even the? Yeah, I guess that's. Maybe it has to. Maybe we just start with Lloyd Braun, like, because it it all kind of revolves around Lloyd Braun. Even George's, Jerry's, and Elaine's stories all do. What are you thinking? Kramer befriends Lloyd Braun in an effort to save a theater, or in an effort to restore a theater, while Jerry isn't interested in his gum. Yeah, I don't like that. It's it's a good start. Uh, let's see, Lloyd Braun, like uh, let me uh, like Lloyd Braun re-enters the lives of the group, and um, didn't I used to end some of those with uh, hilarity ensues or something like that? <laughs> I feel like, I mean, that, I think that was kind of our like cop really... out, uh, our, our cop out whenever yeah, we couldn't yeah. think of how to end it. I don't, yeah. I don't know if there uh, was Kramer, ever... What about, what about Kramer takes Lloyd Braun under his wing and Jer- while, Jerry and El- while Jerry, Elaine, and George try to avoid him or something like that? I like that. I think that works. The, Kramer takes Lloyd Braun yeah, under his what's wing. Going on. Kramer takes Lloyd Braun under his wing, comma, while Jerry, George, and Elaine try to avoid him. There we go. Yeah, yeah I like it. I, that I, works. Sweet. <laughs> I think there might be a better word than avoid, but I'm happy with it for now. All right, so next episode, next week, we've got Season 7, Episode 11, The Rye. Original air date, January 4th, 1996. It'll be the first episode after I turn three. Uh, And if you're looking at TV Guide that night, you are going to see George must replace a loaf of bread his parents took from Susan's mom and dad. Wow, that sounds weird. All right, I think I know what this is about, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Is that it? I think that's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. Be good.